Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. I am Aubrey Edwards here with my wonderful and lovely co-host, Mr. Tony Schiavone. How you doing, Tony? What's up there, Aubrey Edwards? What's up, Doc? Including, what's up, Doc? I want to uh, welcome today's guest, Mr. Christopher Daniels, head of talent relations, wrestler extraordinaire, uh, a man with a very long and illustrious career. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me on the show. I do appreciate it. Chris, you do a lot of things at, at uh, AEW, and we want to get into your uh, came your back uh, get into your background too. But I, I just want to start off uh, this question because it's it's not part of uh, the research we've done. Okay, being in talent relations to me has always been a thankless freaking job. I, now I never did it, but I know people who have done it on many different promotions. So that's got to be a difficult thing for you to do. It is. I've been very fortunate so far that I haven't had any large issues, any problems yet. And I think part of it is because I, I feel like as long as I keep in mind to treat everybody with respect and dignity, I, I right. feel like it's, it, you know, we're in the end, I'm talking to people that are in the position that I'm in at some point, you know, in the sense of like, I've been on their side of the conversation. So I try to keep that in mind when I'm talking to them. And, and, and because of that, I, I feel like I've been very fortunate to have the respect of the people in the AEW locker room. So, I mean, I, I think that that goes a long way. If you treat them with the respect, they treat me with respect. And it, so far, as thankless of a job as it is, I haven't had any problems with it. I'm curious if your position has changed in any sort of way since the pandemic started. Really just uh, really just keeping in mind the COVID protocols that we're having, um, trying to coordinate with Doc Sampson and Chris Harrington, you know, the ideas of having everybody getting PCR tests before they come to shows, coordinating the blood test. But a lot of that is also Chris Harrington too. I just sort of keep the email chains going myself and Chris. So that, that really is a lot of it. You know, we've, we've really sort of got it down to a science in the past nine months of doing it like this. So I feel like we're, we're really rolling as far as like our routine. Um, everybody knows to get into town, get to the the testing spot, get your wristband, start to self-isolate with everybody that's already in the same boat as you. So yeah, we've 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 sort of got it into a into a, a system now. It's been a great system really. And uh, let me ask you this, the the AEW opportunity came at a, at a pivotal time in your life, right? Talk about that. Yeah, I mean uh do you mean like in terms of like my age or like no, about, about your career, career, about making, yeah, making a decision on your career? When AEW came around, I was in probably my sixth year at Ring of Honor. Yeah. And I, I was in a position where I felt like I had sort of done everything I wanted to do in the ring at Ring of Honor. And this opportunity came when Matt and Nick sort of offered me this, this opportunity to join this company. 
it was an unknown commodity. Like there was nothing I could say, oh, well, obviously it's going to do well or do poorly because this, this, and this. It was a shot in the dark. Yeah. But I felt like basing my decision off of what I saw Matt and Nick do in the course of their career in terms of the success they had with the risk that they took, I felt like it wasn't really a risk at all. I felt like as long as I sort of hung with them and, and sort of stuck with their view uh, that it was going to be successful. So I was very fortunate that they looked at me as a person that could do the job that they offered me, which was the talent relations. And um, so far, so good. I, I hope I haven't let them down in any way. And I don't think I have. I don't think you have. <laughs> I love having you around as our uh, head of TR. It's great. I'm sure Brandon Cutler probably uh, is a little upset right now having just recently hit your rental car. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a discussion about that at the next television. But the funny thing is, I, I haven't been too hard on him because I've been in that same boat where I was a similar boat. I, I uh, on, a, on a loop at TNA, Frankie had rented the car and I took it for a drive and ended up putting the bumper uh, right up against the side of another car, which ripped the bumper off. So I texted him, hey, man, we had an accident. He comes and the bumper's in the backseat of the van. <laughs> that was a chilling moment. But uh, so, I, yeah, I, I understand where Brandon's coming from. So I'm not giving him too hard of a time until I get a bill and then we'll discuss it. Hey, so we're into year two on Dynamite. Really lots of success so far on television, pay-per-views, all sorts of things. How would you personally grade year one of AEW? I'd have to say probably a solid above average in the sense of like a B plus. I feel like, you know, nothing we do is perfect. There's always room for improvement, but I feel like in terms of introducing a largely unknown cast of wrestlers to the wrestling audience, I feel like we've done a really good job. Like I think in the course of the year and change that we've been on television, I think more people know who, Hangman Adam Page and Private Party and Darby Allen and, and, you know, guys that didn't really have that national spotlight on them until now. And now people are well aware of those of those wrestlers and many more that I'll probably forget to name just because there's a lot of them. But yeah, I, I feel like we've done very well in that first year. And I, and I think the proof is the fact that before when was it eight months in, we we got a, a notice that. TNT had signed us up for two extra years or three extra years. It was like January. So only about, about three months, three weeks, three months, yeah, in, three yeah, months yeah, into three months dynamite into dynamite. So, yeah, I mean, that to me says a lot. I mean, the fact that TNT has been so strong in terms of their marketing of, of, of AEW, you can't watch a movie on TNT without seeing two or three commercials for us, which is great. And I mean, yeah. that, that shows confidence in a product. And I feel like if we didn't have their confidence, you know, it would show. So I, I feel like definitely B plus and there's, there's places to go. We can always get better, but I feel we've done pretty good in the first year. Christopher, you, uh, we had Scorpio sky on here and he's talked about that, uh, being the elite made SCU, you and Frankie had been teaming together. What did you see in sky that made you want to take him under your wing and add him to SCU? Honestly, when we were at ring of honor, Frankie, Frankie more than me, but at this, at Frankie definitely put a good word in for sky. And I've known sky for a long time, but definitely he and Frankie had much more of a history through wrestling together and against each other on the California independence. So Scorpio came through ring of honor and had a good couple good showings. And there was a moment in time where Frankie and I were looking for a third partner. We had had a partner, Kamatachi, who's a Hiromu Takahashi, who returned to New Japan. And so we we had basically an opening as a spot for 
a trio that we were trying to get going in, in Ring of Honor. And um, there was one evening in Ring of Honor where Scorpio competed in a match against the Young Bucks and the rest of the elite, uh, where Nick Jackson even took the time on the microphone to point him out singularly and say, hey, we should have this guy here. And I remember going to the gentleman that was booking the company. And I said, hey, why don't you give Scorpio Sky to us? Let him be our third. And uh, it wasn't two months after that that uh, the group that ended up becoming SoCal Uncensored got together. You had mentioned, uh, I think, near the start of this interview that, you know, when your time with Ring of Honor after about six years or so is uh, running up, you had felt you kind of done everything you did at Ring of Honor. And I want to touch on a little few of the things you've done at AEW and how great they've been. Um, in particular, the most recent one that stands out to me is your match with Brody back in May and working with a guy like of his caliber, his size, his athleticism. Is there anything in particular that you're looking as a wrestler to get out of AEW? Because um, we talked a lot about your talent relations side, but as a wrestler side, like... I don't necessarily feel like there's anything that I want to do other than contribute. Like, I, I don't think that there's a, a burning hunger in the wrestling world to see me necessarily wrestle anybody. Like, I don't know if there's anybody going, I would. I wish Christopher Daniels would wrestle John Moxley on Dynamite or... or uh, or you? Do you want me to wrestle you, Aubrey? No, uh, I want you to wrestle John yes. Moxley. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I feel like... No, CD would kick my ass. No, I'm not wrestling. <laughs> I feel like with the level of talent that we've got in AEW, you know, there are some fans of mine that would love to see me on Dynamite. But the honest truth is, like, the time to feature me as an act, I feel is sort of, not long gone, but it's it's sort of past. And I'm okay with that. I feel like my best my best efforts now are to be used wrestling younger guys and and sort of helping them get better if I can. And um, if that happens on Dynamite, great. But if it happens on Dark, also great. You know, that's sort of what my focus is now is trying to wrestle the guys that are under contract with us and see what I can do to help them not make the same mistakes that I made or that I that I see other young wrestlers make in their career. So, I mean, that's that's sort of what I'm thinking in this point is like, who can I wrestle to sort of help and, and help build up and, and give them credible wins. I mean, I feel like, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a soup can, but you know, I, I feel like wrestling me and beating me means something, even though yeah. it seems like everybody does it these days, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> You're a little too giving. <laughs> yeah, Maybe, maybe. How did you, and uh, how did you and Frankie uh, Kazarian first meet? Ooh, Frankie and I, uh, based out of Southern California, when I moved to California, I didn't think there was, uh, independent wrestling. Like I didn't know what independent hmm. wrestling was. I moved to California in 1996. And at that point, you know, this is pre-internet. So the only wrestling that I heard about was this thing called slammers. Um, and it was, a, um, it, it was like something in Northern California. And I obviously moved, uh, closer to LA. So I finally found out through the grapevine about all pro wrestling, which was based in, uh, near the Oakland area. It was run by Roland Alexander. And I remember giving him a call and being like, hey, I'd, I'd love to come to your school and train. At this point, I was three years in. And I remember saying, I'd like, you know, I'd like to come and train and, and, and uh, you know, continue to wrestle. And uh, he gave me a spiel that sort of sounded like, oh, you know, we'll, 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 uh, we'll break those bad habits out of you, kid. And at that point, I was full of, you know, piss and vinegar. Like anybody three years in is like, uh, I don't have any bad habits. What are you talking about? And so that sort of turned me off to trying to go up there. And then I found out about Bill Anderson and Jesse Hernandez ran the School of Hard Knocks in San Bernardino, which at the point 
was an hour from where I lived at that point. And so I went there, met with them and uh, started to go there once a week to sort of keep the ring rust off. And that's where I found out about the Southern California Indies. And one of the first people that I met through going to those classes every week was Frankie. So like once we started wrestling on the California Independence, we sort of ran into each other a lot uh, doing stuff for companies like EWF, which was Bill and Jesse's federation that was connected to the School of Hard Knocks. Once PWG became a thing, Frankie and I wrestled there a lot. And then um, he and I got, uh, we started wrestling a lot on TNA together and then finally realized we were traveling on the same flights. And uh, that was sort of the beginning of history. You know, we started traveling together and riding together. And, and that's really where the bond sort of came was the, the, the trips from L.A. to the TNA shows. Let me ask you, as uh, head of talent relations, uh, going back to that, how difficult was it to keep under wraps that Sting was coming to be a part of what we were doing? It's pretty easy. I mean, if you want to keep a secret, you keep it. You just don't tell yeah. anybody. Just don't so tell anybody. For me, <laughs> for me, it was easy. Yeah. And the funny thing is we, we go through, like, we've gone through uh, things in terms of, like, people leaking secrets and, and leaking mm-hmm. results. Yeah. I personally never see it because I don't go on the sites and I never see, oh, Next week, this person's debuting or this person, right. this person. So right. I'm sort of out of the loop on that. And maybe it's because I'm 50 years old and I don't spend 50, you know, I'm never on Reddit or, or whatever the people that are hoping to break the hot scoops. Uh, I, I don't know where those are. So for me, it was easy. And, and I wish, I wish more people sort of was just like, well, let's keep the secret for the sake of our company's secret. I don't know who would have, you know, blurted that out or, or, bro- or broke that story ahead of us revealing it. Yeah. But, um, I, I guess there are people out there that are like, I gotta be the guy that tells the world, even yeah. though it's like, well, just, just enjoy it. Like the rest of us. I don't get it. Cause you get like, you get like crazy internet points, but you can't actually admit who you are. Otherwise you're going to lose your job. So crazy internet points. Yeah. Those, <laughs> yeah. And those don't, those don't redeem well for cash in my no. experience. <laughs> no, they like don't. So, like you don't, don't even get anything like a trade in They don't, they don't get <laughs> anything. Well, so. the, the sting thing was very, very well done in that no one really knew. And I didn't even know really. Yeah. I mean, I, I, talking to the front office and I'm like you, I don't, I don't go on those sites and, and look up the rumor mill and see what's going on. But I had heard there was a possibility that we would get sting. Yeah, And I, I heard that from the front office and I just dropped it until they said, uh, who was it? Well, Tony Khan said, come with me. We walked out to one of the trailers and it was staying. And I went, right, holy right. shit. Yeah. You know? And I, I think Tony smart, like in those, in that sense, he understands like the less people that know, the less likely it's going to get out. Sure. And so you keep it quiet. I, I, I happen to hear in passing because I discuss stuff with Matt and Nick a lot. And, and so I, I sort of knew, I knew it was on the table. I knew it was a possibility. Then I knew, okay, it's happening. And it's just a matter of like, okay, well, let it happen. And then then you can discuss, oh, I knew all along, but you don't have to be the guy that's, guys, I don't, I don't know if you heard, but this is happening. You know, one of those, one of those things, you know, <laughs> like trying to, trying to sell a, trying to sell a fake wash. Like, look what I've got, the scoops. Open up the code. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. <laughs> we're talking with Christopher Daniels, and coming up, we're going to be talking about the early part of his career getting into pro wrestling. Oh, this is AEW Unrestricted with Aubrey and Tony. We're here with Christopher Daniels, CD. You all know him. You all love him. Uh, we talked a little bit about your travels to California, but I want to talk a little bit more about 
uh, your introduction to wrestling. So uh, what came first for you as a kid, uh, wrestling or your love for comic books? Honestly, I don't remember a time when they both weren't a part of my life. So I don't know what came first. I know they came rather neck and neck in that sense. But honestly, and part of this is my memory is very shot. And I don't know why it's, I have an idea, but I honestly, there wasn't a time where I wasn't buying comic books and watching wrestling on television. And I grew up in North Carolina. So my, my gateway into professional wrestling was mid Atlantic. Um, what ended up becoming WCW on TBS. Yeah, Tony. Heck yeah. I watch you. Yes, I watch you on, on my YouTube when I'm doing cardio. Lots of WCW tapings from the studio. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was that was my my introduction, and it wasn't until eighty four, eighty five, where cable became a thing, where I was able to see things like WWF, uh, the Tuesday Night Titans, and World Class, and AWA on ESPN. Like that was those were things that I read about in the after magazines. Right. But I never got a chance to see them on television until cable became a thing. So really, the first thing for me was Ric Flair as world champion and the and the Four Horsemen and Dusty Rhodes for sure. Um, Nikita Koloff, Magnum TA, my first favorite wrestler, you know, and then being a fan when he had his car accident and Nikita Koloff coming to his aid and turning babyface in an unbelievably amazing moment as a fan. So I mean, that was my that was my introduction. And that, that to me is pro wrestling. That has always been pro wrestling to me. And if I could somehow recreate that feeling in other people, the failings that I had watching world championship wrestling and mid Atlantic wrestling, I feel like I've done a good job. Yeah. The year you're talking about is basically is 1986, right? Which was a classic year of Jim Crockett promotions and TBS and a little plug for what happened when, because we're covering 1986 right now, but Ha. So, but uh, yeah, I remember those years as well. So now you're, where in North Carolina did you grow up? Uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. It's an oh. hour, it's an hour south of Raleigh and it's uh, right next to Fort Bragg, which is a major yeah. army base in the United States. So, Cumberland County Civic Center. Buddy. Exactly. I, I, I grew up going there for wrestling and I had the opportunity to wrestle there uh, two or three times with TNA. So I was very fortunate uh, to bring that full circle. Damn. Yeah. What uh? What were your favorite comic book characters as a kid? Um, the first thing that got me into comic books as a kid was uh, Uncanny X Men, um, drawn by John Byrne and written by Chris Claremont. And honestly, it's the it's the uh, beginning of the team that everybody knows from the movies and knows from pop culture now. Uh, Wolverine, Colossus, Storm, Cyclops, like that whole thing. And those were those comic books were the thing that got me that changed me from a kid who was just buying magazines from the spinner rack at a Seven Eleven to a kid that was looking to get every issue of a run and putting them in bags and boards and saving them in boxes. And, and, and honestly, that's, that's where I sort of, I, I sort of flipped into somebody that was following storylines and like, Oh, this is Wolverine. What, how did he get to be Wolverine? And, and, um, this is Phoenix and Phoenix just died. So how did she become Phoenix? She used to be Jean Grey and what does Cyclops do now? And, and all of those things, that sort of stuff turned me into that comic collector that I sort of am now. And you still collect, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Boxes to literally an arm's length from me right now, like 48 long boxes and uh, continuously adding. And, and now because my, my big vice now is eBay shopping. So now I'm, I'm looking oh. through eBay trying to get like the first appearance of uh, 
Captain Universe. And, uh, you know, I just I just bought a, a great copy of the first appearance of Captain Marvel, uh, Ms. Marvel. So, I mean, that that to me was like a, a good get. Like the game now is to try and get it under a little a little bit less than what it's worth and then hopefully hold on to it. So it becomes worth more. It's all a it's all a scam. It's all a game. It's all a. So do you actually end up selling them, or do you just no, telling yourself that no, you sell them? No, that's the thing. Yes, no. It's I never sell them. <laughs> I've got this comic book that's worth two thousand dollars, and it's like if I could sell this, I could sell it for two thousand dollars. But I'll never take it out of the. It'll never go out of my thing. It's like nope, I'm keeping it because that's that to me is the point is is having that treasure. It's like look at this, I have it, and you don't. Ha ha. You know. Yeah, it's kind of like baseball card collecting. Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Any type of collector will tell you that. So what in your collection is your most prized comic? I'd have to say the first, uh, there's a couple of first appearances that I have that are in great condition. The first appearance of Cable, the first appearance of Deadpool, the first appearance of uh, Miles Morales, which is a very big one now with the success of the Spider-Verse movie that came out a couple years ago. The first appearance of... uh, uh, Laura Kinney, who is the new Wolverine, the character that uh, Daphne Keene played in the last Logan movie, her first appearance in a comic book. So all those are, are, are good gets like books that whose cover price was two, three dollars like that. That um, first appearance of Laura Kinney is like worth five hundred dollars at this point, if you have a good copy. And the, the, the trick is to find something that's got a character in it that's popular but is also rare and that's tough in today's comic world because even the lowest uh the lowest the least popular comic book has thousands of, or hundreds of thousands of copies because they're put out throughout the united states so that's the tough thing is trying to find something that's rare enough to be worth uh money but also you know what what the readers want you know so in 2014 I think you and Kazarian had published your own comic. Yes. How did that go about happening? (laughs) Okay. So um, the author, the character or the artists that were involved in that were called, their names are Art Baltazar and Franco. And they are to me, basically the Pixar of um, all ages comics. They do a thing called, Oh yeah, comics. And uh, Art was famous for doing all ages versions of DC characters. He did a thing called uh, Tiny Titans, which were the Teen Titans, sort of very similar to the uh, Teen Titans Go cartoon that's out now. He did something before that called Tiny Titans. He did something called um, Superman of Smallville. He did uh, Superman Family Adventures. So these were all comics for five, six, seven-year-old kids that were based on the character. It was just like Superman as a kid, Batman as a kid, the Tiny Titans as youths. So in 2014, Art uh, started a Kickstarter for Aw Yeah Comics for characters that he created, um, Action Cat, Adventure Bug, and Awesome Bear. And um, when I supported that, that Kickstarter, I told him, hey, I have an idea for a comic book. What if I wrote a comic book where Frankie and I interacted with Action Cat and Awesome, awesome Bear and Adventure Bug? And he's like, yeah, cool. So I literally sent him a script unsolicited, like, hey, what do you think of this? And he's like, let's make a comic. So maybe eight months down the line, he came up with this book or he printed the book and uh, we were selling them at Ring of Honor events and independent events around the U.S. So I still got copies. Oh, wait, hold on. I got them right here. It's the best possible merch you can find in an indie show. Right? Well, (laughs) part of it was that, like, the idea was this is the second issue. Whoa. Uh, 
Look oh, at yeah. That. Team up. Oh. That's me. So, like, the idea was, you know, at, at independent wrestling shows, especially independent wrestling shows, the the most of the people that are there are in their 18, their teens, their 20s, their 30s. They're older guys. You know what I mean? And there wasn't, in my mind, there wasn't anything for that nine-year-old, 10-year-old kid. I mean, yeah, they can get a black wrestler's t- a black wrestling t-shirt, uh, a wrestler's t-shirt. But like, what do they get? Like, other than that, if they're if they're you know a little bit less mature than than that. So I was like, what if we made this comic book uh, for this all ages characters and and brought those to shows? So that's what that was the mentality is making this comic book so that the younger wrestling fans had something. And uh, so we we had those. We had two issues made. Um, a third one's still in the works, but Art and Franco are so popular and so busy uh, that um, it's just been on hold just because of that. It's a good problem to have for those guys. <laughs> yeah, man, they're they're doing great stuff now. Um, they're doing more DC, more stuff with DC, and I'm always thrilled to know that they're successful and and uh, making comics day in and day out. It's it's a cool it's a cool life. It's a cool life. Okay, your uh, wrestling career started in the early '90s in Chicago. Is that correct? Yes, 1993. Damn. Very okay, to Windy City Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that start. Okay, well, I moved to Chicago with my wife, who was my fiance at the time. The thought process was we were going to get into acting because my degree was in theater. That's where I met her was uh, doing summer stock in North Carolina. So we were looking to get into the theater scene in Chicago. And I told her, you know, if this doesn't work out, you know, I can always go into pro wrestling, sort of (laughs) tongue in cheek. So she found a wrestling school, Windy City Pro Wrestling. And she made an appointment for me, unbeknownst to me. She drives me up. She goes, hey, this is a wrestling school. Go look at it. And um, so I went in and had an interview with Sam DeSero, who ran the place. He used to wrestle in the AWA as one of the Max brothers. And so uh, she says, I came out of that meeting just hypnotized, like just stunned, starstruck. And so um, things were going hard. It was hard to break into the theater scene if you didn't know anybody in Chicago. And so I didn't know anybody and she didn't know anybody. So I decided to give it a try with the idea of like, oh, you know what? If I wash out, if I fail, at least I could tell my kids, hey, your dad tried this. And uh, so I started in January of 93. And in April of 93, I wrestled my first match. And in May of 93, I won my first championship. Whoa. And from there, well, part of it was I lived half an hour away from the school. So there was no there was no conceivable reason for me to not go to school. And so I was at wrestling school four days a week, four hours at a time, you know, and at that point it was fun. I, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, I gotta go. I'm, I'm loving this. This is great. And bumping around for everybody, just, you know, like anybody who goes into wrestling school that first, you know, six months a year, it's just, I, of course I'm going, of course I'm going. And so I was there and, and, I just happened to pick it up. You know, I think being a fan growing up gave me that frame of reference so that it was easy to learn the moves just because I had watched them on my whole life. And so once you have that frame of reference, you go through it a couple of times and you just have that body control. You get to be good at the physical part of it. And then once you're wrestling matches, that's where you sort of learn the mental part of it, wrestling in front of fans. And that's something I'm still learning. We're all still learning. Yeah, exactly. So you ended up at WCW, I think, in 2001. Well, yes and no. I ended up there in 2000. Mm. Um, I first got signed in January of 2000. And um, 
I had one last trip to Japan that I had to fulfill for Mishinoku Pro. And um, while I was, uh, Kevin Sullivan hired me. And mm-hmm. so while I was in Japan, Kevin Sullivan was fired. Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff took over. And the, the I can't remember the date, but there was a very famous Nitro where everything sort of got reset in Denver, Colorado. Um, Tony, do you remember that? It was, uh, no. it was the night they, there was the night they gave all the titles to, it was the very beginning of like the new blood billionaires, new oh, blood billionaires yes. club thing. So yes. that was supposed to be my first day. Right. But because Vince Russo didn't know who I was and Eric Bischoff didn't know who I was, I was hired to Kevin. They were like, okay, well, we'll, we'll bring you in when we have an idea for you, but we're doing this new blood billionaires club thing now. Right. So, um, a couple months or a couple weeks later, they called me. They're like, Hey, Vince Russo wants to meet you. He's got some ideas for you. So I go to Atlanta and this is the night that they dropped all the blood on Ric Flair, I believe in the mm-hmm. cage. Yep. So I'm waiting around, you know, they're busy all day afterwards. They're online doing talk shows, him and Bob Ryder. And uh, finally I meet up with Vince and Vince goes, okay, what are your ideas? <laughs> and I go, Oh crap. Okay. And so I, I threw out some stuff and, it never really went anywhere. So, oh, well. Well, you know, uh, uh, trying to talk to somebody during TV a lot of times. Right, right, right. Wrong thing to do. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, like that first period of time I was hired, I was under, I was under WCW contract from like January to like October and um, they were bringing me to television. And um, this was right around the time where the people that were working in the, the power plant were getting on television guys like Sean O'Hare and Mark Jindrak and Elix Skipper. Right. And I wasn't one of those guys. So there wasn't anybody like, Hey, we need something for Christopher Daniels. So I was showing up at television. Hey, what do you guys need from me? Oh, uh, nothing. And so I would, you know, thinking I was doing right. I would just go sort of stay out of the way and watch the monitors and stuff like that. But I'd also by not like walking up and going, Hey guys, don't forget about me. Finally, mm-hmm. I got a phone call from JJ Dillon who was like, Hey, um, you know, you're making a lot of money and you're not doing a lot of wrestling. And I was like, <laughs> but that's not up to me. But, I, but, and, yeah. then, and at that point I didn't know, oh, well, you know, tell him you'll do this. I was like, yes, sir. Sorry. You know? And he was like, well, we got to let you go. And so a couple months later in January, 2001, I got called by Terry Taylor. He was like, Hey, we'd like to have mm. you and Mike Modest do this tryout match. And, um, that was the match on Nitro where I got hurt and we did the angle with Scott Steiner and we got signed again. This one time we got signed to a developmental deal. And that was the last, that was the last you saw of me on WCW because pretty soon they were bought. Yeah. Right. So you go, you, you're called one of the founding fathers of ring of honor. You've done so much ring and honor ring of honor. You've done a lot in TNA. Uh, looking back on those years, some of the highlights that you, that you'll never forget. I know we're kind of combining both of them in there, but no, I mean the they're very similar in the sense like we had two locker rooms that were filled with guys that were hungry for the opportunity to be seen. And even though we had different audiences, like at that point, Ring of Honor was very much the ECW tape trader audience. And right. um, you know, we were going to towns that that formerly had ECW live events, and so we were getting that fan base. And then TNA starting out with the Wednesday pay-per-views and then moving on to Impact and getting on Fox Sportnet that finally went to Spike TV. Like that was 
sort of the audience, like once we got onto Spike TV, I felt like that was the audience that used to have like the WCW, like that cable network. Like that was the fans that were sort of going there. And so the good thing about that was just being able to work with so many young guys like myself that hadn't had that opportunity to be on that spotlight. So like in ring of honor, it was guys like Brian Danielson who ended up becoming Daniel Bryan and, and low key and uh, you know, guys like CM Punk. And then in the TNA side, it was working with AJ and working with Samoa right. Joe and, and, and working with Frankie as often as I did. Um, like those opportunities and those matches that people remembered this day, that sort of means the world to me to know that I was part of, of history in the sense like building these or helping build these two companies up and being thought of as like one of the guys that helped it along. That's uh, something that you can't take away from me. So I'm very happy about all, both of those. I remember the first time I started watching Ring of Honor, you were tagging with Kaz. So it was Addiction versus Young Bucks. And it was just so engaging and exciting. And everyone has had great chemistry. You've done a lot of great things at Ring of Honor. I think you were the first ever Grand Slam champion at Ring of Honor history. Right. Uh, what does something like that mean to you? Again, it's that it's that part of being part of history that they can't take away from you. Being a first of anything like that, um, they can't. It's an accomplishment that'll never go away. You know, um, there was a period of time where I was the oldest guy to hold the Ring of Honor championship. And I thought, oh, no one's ever going to take that. And then one year later, like, here comes PCO. And I'm like, ah, you got it. You win. So, but I mean, yeah, being the first and being, being able to be a part of the company in its inception and going in those first couple of years with both companies, whether it's Ring of Honor or TNA, like it meant so much to sort of lay the groundwork, the foundation that these companies now, whatever they're enjoying, a lot of that comes from where we came from. And so it means a lot to know that if someone's watching Ring of Honor, I had a lot to do with where they are now. And same with, with TNA. Like if you're watching TNA, there was a period of time where, you know, if it wasn't for the work of a lot of the guys, it might've gone out of business and it didn't. So we're very fortunate to be able to say, oh yeah, I, I helped with that. I, I was part of that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, very, very well said. All right, CD, get ready. we got a bunch of fan questions okay. coming your way. All right. I didn't study for anything, but okay. It's time for Fan Q&A with Christopher Daniels. We went out to Twitter to ask the fans uh, some questions. Is that the pronunciation? Twitter? Twitter. Twitter. It is, it is this house. Brown. I can tell you that. Yeah. It makes me feel better about it, the trash fire that Twitter is when I call it Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Actually, at the, actually, this house is called two things. It's called Twitter and it's called Sewer. Ah. Take your pick. Ha. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Here we go. Chris Wood. Chris Wood <laughs> on Twitter. How do you look back on your time at TNA? I think we were just talking about that. Do you feel AEW has similar traits with young, hungry roster kids working for one goal? Do you feel confident AEW won't make the same critical mistakes? Also, we ever see Dumb and Dumber suits on TV again? Okay, I can answer that. Take so your pick of those four answers. I can, <laughs> okay, I can answer the Dumb and Dumber skit. Uh, the Dumb okay. and Dumber suits will probably not make another appearance. Uh, RIP. Okay. I do feel that AEW is similar to TNA in the sense of the, the young, the young locker room. And again, this is in the same way that TNA back in the day had these guys that hadn't had that opportunity on the national spotlight. Now you've got AEW where you're looking at guys like jungle boy and Luchasaurus and um, Marco stunts and the private party. And again, guys 
a list of guys who I'll forget names. Uh, I'll forget people. And afterwards go, oh, I wish I had mentioned uh, Scorpio Sky, um, you know, things like that. So, yes, we are very similar in that respect. The one thing that I do think is different and one of the things where I don't think we'll make some of the same mistakes that TNA made is that I feel in the creative process that there's a feel of collaboration rather than a, a feeling of, of exclusion. There were very many times where I tried to comment on things that were happening with me and there was immediate fight back, pushback. Um, not always, not always, but often, often enough where I ended up getting a reputation as being a guy that asked too many questions and it ended up hurting me at TNA. And there was even a, a point where they put a clause in our contract that said, if you keep pushing back, we'll fire you, even though that's in every contract any wrestlers ever wrestled or ever, ever signed. So, yeah, I, I feel like here at AEW, there's a feeling of collaboration because I feel like Tony and the guys that are doing the creative, they want to hear opinions and they want to hear they want to hear the devil's advocate. They, if they have an idea and someone goes, well, wait, this won't work because they want to hear that. They don't want to find out, oh, this didn't work because and no one said that they want to hear those things. And so that's the difference that I feel like at this point. And and um, that that that's been very positive in my in my experiences here, like just being able to talk to guys like Matt and Nick and say, what if we did this? What if it went this way? What if instead of this, we did this? And and their their reaction is this. It's not this. You know what I mean? It's very much. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. This this is not a good idea. And this is why. You know what I mean? That's and that's all I ever really wanted. Like all I wanted really was to be heard. And I had an opinion. And if your opinion, if you're, if you had an opinion that negated my opinion, or at least like it, it, it convinced me out of my opinion, or you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If what you said worked and it, it worked against what I said, at least I was heard. At least I made my point, you know, and I didn't feel like I had that a lot in TNA. And I feel like I definitely have that here. Yeah. That's awesome. Daniel son on Twitter asks, how do you feel about wrestlers, other wrestlers on the indies, using the best moonsault ever as a finisher? I'm glad that not many people do it. I think I saw that particular tweet and they named one and I'll, I'll name him Jacob Fatu. Um, so I, I'm, I'm surprised more people don't do it, but I'm happy that more people don't do it. And um, I, I think Shane Helms said it pretty recently on Twitter. Like once you put your art out there, it's not just for you anymore. And so I get that. Like, I think when people see the BME, I think they'll think of me no matter what, uh, in the same way that I think if people see a frog splash, they might think of Eddie Guerrero first, like immediately go, Oh, that's an Eddie Guerrero thing. Yeah. You know? So I'm, I'm happy that I'm sure there are other people that are going to end up doing it. And at some point they'll be doing it for their thing and I won't be doing it. But the fact that I feel like I'm, I may not be the first guy that ever did it, but I think I'm the one that most people envision when they talk about it. That's very cool to me. And I, I don't think, again, that's something that I don't know that anything that can be taken away from me. You know what I mean? Like people will always, oh, that's a Chris Daniels thing. I hope. It's a nice nod to the legacy that you're leaving behind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. And I understand. We, I mean, it's very, very good, Chris. <laughs> Thanks. Really? I'm serious. Uh, the the Rajiv 8... On Twitter, wants to know as a wrestler, what do you enjoy more, 
the physical aspect or the creative aspect of putting together a match? I, I didn't really, I never really saw a difference in, in either one. Like I felt like part of the art was going out there and physically doing it. Like I love putting together matches and I love, uh, especially when the person I'm putting them to the match together with is on the same page. And it's sort of like, what about this? Yeah. And then this, yeah. And then this rather than, no, but no, but, you know, there's a great feeling when you've got, and this happens a lot. Uh, like what, what Brittany was talking about a hot second ago about me and Frankie and uh, me and Frankie and the bucks. Like whenever we work a match, it's very easy to put together because the four of us sort of think in a similar fashion and then going out there and doing it, especially in front of a crowd, going out there doing it and hearing the reaction that you expected to hear or hoped that you would hear that to me is very uh, satisfying feeling to think, okay, I think if I do this, this is what they'll do. And then that you go out and you do it and they actually do react the way you had planned and hoped that that to me is the, the fun of professional wrestling is, is trying to tell that story. And then when they react the way you want, it's like, Oh, they get the story I'm trying to tell. That's awesome. Styles Clash 23 on Twitter. How is it wrestling someone like Stephen Amell, who's not a wrestler? Did he surprise you with his in-ring ability? Talk about your experience fighting a celebrity a celebrity who actually gave a damn about giving a good match. <laughs> um, working with Stephen Amell was uh, a very, very fun experience, very uh, singular experience. I don't know if I'll ever get an opportunity to work someone of that stature, of that uh Take, uh, of that ability ever again. And um, I was very lucky that he was a fan and he had an idea of what he wanted to put out there um, when we had our match. And, um, you know, part of my job was really more to protect him from himself in the sense that, you know, there were things that he wanted to do that may not have gone well for him physically. And, um, you know, he was very, I was very happy that Again, this was a collaboration. It wasn't a, hey, I'm the star and this is what I want to do and this is what I'm going to do. I would, you know, he had an idea, I had an idea and we discussed like what's the best way to go there, you know, and, and then just the compromise of like, well, how do we do this? Well, let's do this this way. It was a lot of fun and uh, it was very rewarding. And I feel like that might have been one of the most important matches that people had seen of me that hadn't seen TNA you know, if you hadn't watched me on TNA for a while, that was probably the highest profile match in the wrestling world that I'd had in a couple of years. If you weren't a wrestling fan, I think you probably did hear about Stephen Amell wrestling that bald guy. And so <laughs> I'm that bald guy. So that that to me was very satisfying, very cool. And the fact that he was, you know, the fact that he was famous for playing a comic book character just even made it better. The, the idea right, right. that this guy from the DC lore was wrestling this diehard Marvel fan. He was, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if you guys know this, but I wore a Hawkeye knee pad in the match just to piss him off. Wow. No, I didn't, I didn't tell him. I didn't tell him until I, we we're walking around backstage and he's like, is that Hawkeye GD? You know, just real loud. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. Uh, just call me a Favo on Twitter. Uh, CD, who is someone who motivates you to keep going as hard as you can for as long as you have? Uh, first answer to that is Frankie. Just trying to keep up with Frankie. Great guy. Yeah. Frankie, when we're on the road, Frankie makes sure that we hit the gym. Frankie makes sure that we're, you know, in sync in terms of, of getting the building and getting, getting in the gym and that sort of thing. So, and, and a lot of it is I, I want to, I don't want to let him down. 
Like if it was just me, it'd be easy for me to be like, ah, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just not do this this week. But knowing that he and I are part of this game together, you know, I still want to carry the, the load, you know, and be part of the team. And so definitely Frankie definitely motivates me. And, and I think it's going to be, it's going to be tough for me to walk away at some point I will. And knowing that he's going to have, you know, six, eight, 10 more years without me, but mm-hmm. they're going to be six, eight, 10 great years. Cause he's amazing mm-hmm. and still amazing. And so, um, you know, he's definitely someone that makes me want to keep going and keep working hard until I can't. He's just a great guy. Good answer. Yeah. Love it. Trill Mexican 305 on Twitter. I'm, I'm really excited to hear about this one. Uh, what was going through your mind the night that you had that classic match between Samoa Joe and AJ Styles? Well, I, I felt like, I felt like the table was set for us to either succeed or fail. You know, we didn't know until that day that we were going to be the main event of that show, you know, and for a company that had so much to do in terms of tradition, they had so many guys that felt like, oh, the, in my mind, I thought they were, they're never going to make us last. They're going to make the world champion last. And we get there and they, they find out that we're the main event. So that to me was like, all right, well, they're giving you this opportunity. So it's sink or swim. So um, Joe and AJ and I, at that point, we had, you know, we're, we're very close friends even to this day. And at that point, we were like, all right, you give us this opportunity. We're going to kick it over the fence or whatever. We're going to, we're going to hit home run, whatever we got to do. And I feel like in the middle of that match, I felt uh, the sweet spot. I felt the sweet spot of like, Oh, the fans are where we want them. We're right where we want to be. And they're, they're buying what we're selling. And um, I remember when the bell rang and just the emotion, I started to cry and thinking, man, we did, we hit, we did exactly what we wanted to do. And I, I didn't know 15 years down the road, we'd still be talking about that match. Um, you never know until after it's done, whether it's going to stand the test of time or not. But um, I knew that night that we had done something pretty special. And I, I was just very fortunate to be in the ring with two of my best friends and performing at that level the way we did was, was you know, all the stars aligned. I watched that match again and it was really, really excellent. So. Thank Thanks. you. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Nice to wrestle. Uh, nice to wrestlers. That's the name. Nice to wrestlers. Good. You should be. There should nice be to more. <laughs> there should, should be more of you like that. Especially on, on Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Nice to wrestlers on Twitter. I was first introduced to independent wrestling through watching Chris wrestle for the FWA in the UK. Right. What are your memories working with that promotion? Uh, the FWA was uh, a company that I worked for off and on in the UK. Um, one of their most famous people out of that company was named Doug Williams, who is probably one of the best independent wrestlers from the UK that I'd ever wrestled. Um, He was the guy I wrestled the first night I ever, actually the first international trip I took, unless you count Puerto Rico, but yeah, the first, the first overseas tour I did in the UK, I wrestled Doug Williams and met him there. This was 98. And, um, over the course of his career, he came over to Ring of Honor and uh, and did a lot of stuff in the United States as well. But um, the UK fans are amazing. And my experience working at the FWA, uh, working guys like him and Jody Fleisch and uh, Johnny Storm, like these guys were, they were the UK wrestling scene at that point through the early 2000s. 
Um, and I think if you ask any of the, the UK wrestlers now, they definitely are going to tell you guys like Doug, guys like Johnny, guys like Jody were an impetus. They were an inspiration for them to get out and get in the wrestling, in the wrestling business. So being able to go out there to see such a rabid fan base that the UK has and being able to wrestle guys like Doug and, and those other guys, it was a great experience. And um, if I helped add any sort of panache or any sort of special feelings to the FWA for the wrestling fans over there, then I, I, I feel like I did a good thing, man, because they were, they were great. They were a great company. I want to make sure that I ask this question before we run out of time because I'm definitely interested in the answer. Okay. Nick Myers on Twitter, any chance we'll see Curryman in AEW? <laughs> That's a funny question, and it's something that I've thought about in the last couple months. <gasps> I don't know. Uh, okay, to peel the wow. to peel the curtain back to peel the curtain. Back. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's do it. I don't know if I could do Curry Man the same way I did it in TNA and not be racially insensitive. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I sure do. The original yeah. the original plan for Curry Man in TNA in my mind was to be like the Yellow Dog. Like I had just left TNA and I was coming back under a mask. And I wanted everybody to know that it was me. And I wanted to be so obvious that it was me. But Jeff Jarrett was like, no, no, it can't be you. It's not you. And so that was that was where the idea of making him Japanese and and doing the Japanese voice came from. And so at the time, that's not like a, a stereotype voice. That's actually what Jushin Liger sounds like to me. And so I was trying to do not just, oh, this is what a Japanese guy looks sounds like. This was what Jushin Liger sounds like when he talks to me. And that's what I wanted to do. So that's my impersonation of Jushin Liger. But if you don't know that and you're a Japanese guy and you hear this white mouth saying stupid stuff in a, in a Japanese accent, it might really upset you. So I don't know if Crayman can show up. I have to reimagine. And I think I have an idea, but... You know, who knows if anybody will ever want to hear it. <laughs> you know, I have an idea of how it might work, but at the same time, I it might be better if Curryman rode off into the sunset and is just looked on with fondness from afar. I don't know. Tell me, Twitter. Tell me, Wrestling Twitter. <laughs> it's, up to you. it's up to you now, Wrestling Twitter. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I don't know. You can follow uh, you on Twitter where, Chris? At FAC, uh, standing for Fallen Angel Christopher, FAC Daniels, at FAC Daniels. One word or yes, one separation? Word. One word, no separation, right. no, no, uh, no punctuation, sorry. Okay, uh, we appreciate your time, man. Oh, thanks for having me. It's man. been a lot of fun. I appreciate it, and thanks for thanks for having a, a, a podcast for all of us to sort of tell our stories, man. It's cool. It's cool, and yeah. thank you for, for making this time and making this effort. It's really awesome to it's hear great. everything yeah. about, like, you're just amazing – impact in this industry no pun intended and to see the amazing uh set that your wife has set up since she started <laughs> teaching from home yeah i was watching our youtube version of this <laughs> yeah yeah thank you guys I, I appreciate you having me on it's it's been it means a lot also you can follow christopher daniels on instagram at fa christopher daniels i believe that's correct all one word yes. yeah correct. You can subscribe to episodes of AEW Unrestricted on all of your favorite podcast apps. You can also watch the YouTube editions 
uh, slightly delayed later on in the week. Just search YouTube AEW Unrestricted. And tune in to AEW Dynamite each and every Wednesday, 8 o'clock, 7 central, only on TNT. And I'm Tony Schiavone. I'm Aubrey Edwards. This has been Unrestricted with Christopher Daniels. Hell yeah. Yeah.